Welcome to Hoof and Horn, a witch's podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, paganism, music, the occult, and whatever else we want. On this episode of Hoof and Horn Podcast, Braxis, Samuel, and I discuss Beltane, or Bealtana, or Bealtan, as well as Welsh Pergusnacht, whether we are Team Johnny or Team Amber, and we have a bit of a check-in after a hiatus. Music in this episode by Metal Horse, including the single Elf's Head from their upcoming album. This is seriously one of my favorite songs. Remember to like, share, and follow on your podcast app of choice, and drop us a line with any questions or episode requests at hoof.horn.podcast at gmail.com. Those that are interested might also want to check out the new Temple of the Hallowed Gods website, of which our coven, Crow, Torch, and Feral Knight, is a part of. Visit templeofthehallowedgods.com to learn more about us, as well as our other covens, study groups, events, and classes, including the Deity Year in a Day, as well as our Votary Priestics clergy training. And now, here's Metal Horse, and thanks for listening. Let's go.
We're back. It's been one year since you looked at me. (laughs) 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 Is that how that goes? Yes, it's been one week since you looked at me. Dropped you out of his eyes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I don't say I'm sorry. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But it's been a while. It has been. It's been a while. How have you been in this time period? Hiatus. That's a good word. Hiatus. Yeah, it's been since we the court last thing we recorded was about Imolk, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was. It was. We we did. We skipped the uh, spring equinox, but you know what? Oops. Everybody knows what it is. Okay. Whatever. Everybody knows what it is. Y'all know what it was. Y'all did it. We're busy. Yeah. But I've been all right. Um, uh, my, my school started for me. I probably said it last time, maybe, but I, I am in my traditional birth attendant year-long course. It is hardcore, but I got called a queen of finding good studies oh, today. Well, you are a CIA men- agent, I am I the CIA. Say. My lovely friend, Darren McGarity, who is now on the other side of the veil, one day when he sent me on a mission at another store, when I came back with information and then I was you know, able to like, give him all this information, he just sort of looked at me that day and went, you're like the CIA. And yes, I, I pride myself in, on that. So don't even try to pull one over on me, kids, nope. because I'm going to figure you out. Mm-hmm. But I'm right otherwise. Uh, the, my 250th baby uh-huh. was born on Monday and it was lovely Aww. and they were a lot happier than they were their first time around. I still see things that I think are ridiculous, but that is neither here nor there. Um, and we're getting ready for Beltane, right? Indeed. How are you, Samuel? And then we'll circle it around back around to you. Oh, I'm doing good. Staying busy, trying to um endeavor myself to do more crafting things, mm-hmm. not specifically witchcraft, just wood carving and drawing and trying a new divination system, which I'm extremely excited about. It's still cards, but uh, cards are cards are my babies. Having read tarot for a few years now, I wanted to try Lenormand, so I'm very excited to hopefully learn something new. Um, just finished some homework for the Foundations of Witchcraft class that I'm in. Um, with key also, um, it's it's going, it's mm-hmm. going. Ready for the new moon? I'm ready for Bieltsina. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. I love when the next Sabbath comes around. It's inexplicably always my favorite Sabbath when there's another one happening. Um, <laughs> See, making See how it, that happens. Making it, making it through the harsh weather. Ready for some warm weather, Jesus. But other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain too much. Mm-mm. How are you, Braxis? Uh, I'm okay. Breathing, living, mm-hmm. thinking, looking, seeing, <laughs> hearing, doing it. Uh, playing drums, you know, <laughs> the whole thing. Uh, All of the things. Yeah. I, I, I do have something to share that I went to a <clears throat> elementary school from grades like kindergarten to fifth grade, I think. And it was an art day that they had so they had all these guest speakers there so myself and my brother went and he talked about his you know art stuff to the fourth and fifth graders 
And then I got every round, every class of the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. But the school that we went to was an a maze. You would have gotten lost. It's just crazy. It's a it's a freaking maze. I, I literally had to ask every time I went somewhere <laughs> where something was. But he told me that he could hear our drum circle all the way on the other side of the school. And I had each class split down the middle and playing on their drums. I had one side of the uh, class say peanut butter mm -hmm. and the other side of the class and this is why they're hitting the drum the other side of the class would say jelly time and they <laughs> were like in the fight for their lives it was like the Spartans and the the Greeks Persians. and the Spartans oh the, yeah the Greek yeah the Athenians Spartans yeah yeah the Athen Athens and Sparta I mean it was crazy and they would not only were they playing they were screaming it out loud. I mean, it was great. It was great fun. I'm glad it happened. Uh, I, I wish that sometimes I'd get some students who could actually, you know, play some rhythms or take the time to learn a rhythm or whatever, but they have such short attention spans, so it's fine. Yeah. So I just did this thing, and they had lots of fun, but that was uh, fun for me as well. Yeah. Well, we've also been twice back to the nursing home. Indeed, and nice. that's been real. That's been fun. Yeah, I like that. And there's that one guy, the he got he in a veteran. It. He was down. The Korean, Korea veteran. Something. And he got a beat. He did. Like keeping the beat. He was. Sometimes I notice some nice. of the older ladies, like they're holding their tambourine, but they're not doing it. And right. then the the ladies that work there, they're so great, and they're like dancing around, and they're so energetic and doing. And then they'll start to shake it. But that, I want to know what his name is. I need to ask him his name. Um, sure. He is got, he had you um, and Aiden, myself and him, were keeping it going. It was good. It was great. It was good. Yeah, I, it was nice. I have a uh, story about uh, nursing home drum circles. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times when you uh -huh. go to these nursing homes, uh, you know, the, the people are old or have dementia or, you know, are handicapped or mentally disabled, whatever it be. And... So I usually just hand out, you know, little things like egg shakers and stuff for anybody who doesn't can't play a drum, right? Yeah. So they're still involved. And so at the end of, uh, I was at this particular spot, and at the end, you know, there's probably like 20 people in a circle, and I'm in the middle, and I'm packing everything up, and I'm just walking around getting my eggs and tambourines back from everybody who's played something. And there's a nurse there who's going the other way around the circle. So we're kind of meeting in the middle of picking up all of our stuff. And we get down to the very last person who still has something. So we're, we both end up at this last person at the exact same time. And I look over and the lady has a, a shaker egg and she's rubbing it on her crotch. <gasps> and I looked at the nurse lady. She looked at that lady. She looked back at me and I said, you can keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> and we got out of there. <laughs> that is not a yoni egg, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've had, uh, not personally to me, but I've had a few of them, like, Oops. show their tits to one of my, one of the guys who went with me to play. To yes. And really? Then, yes. Got like, hey, baby. They, yes. they might have been groupies back yeah, in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> or just, like, touching one of my other guys a whole bunch, you know what I mean? Or standing next to him the entire time. You know, oh. it was like 45 minutes of them just standing, shaking the thing right in his ear, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, Braxton, you, you, have you ever seen School of Rock? Oh, yeah, Hello. for sure. Yes. You, you definitely give me very pagan School of Rock. Oh, good. You know, that's, Jack, that's pagan Jack Black over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be compared to him, I'll take it, man, that's good. 
I have a very important question. I don't know many rock stars, but I know Jack Black. Sure. <laughs> um, I have an important question. Okay, well, hold on. Yeah. That brings up, uh, you know, Black Jack and Pick a Destiny? And he sees the yeah. de- he meets with the devil, and the devil's playing the drum set, and he has the three drum kick drums, which is impossible, but yes. he has three, and they say six, six, six. You know who plays the devil? Yes. Go ahead. You told me. David Grohl. Yes! Yeah. It's Dave Grohl. Yeah, pretty awesome. So if you didn't know that, there's a little yes. tidbit spoiler for you. And all hail to Taylor Hawkins, right? Absolutely. For sure. R.I.P., man. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Now for the third time, I have an important question. Okay, hit it. We have an important answer. I need to know if you're on Team Amber or Team Johnny. <laughs> that one <laughs> seems very obvious. Because right now, very, kids, very I'm wearing my Johnny Depp is innocent. See that, Samuel? Yeah. Johnny Depp is innocent yes, t-shirt. Ma'am. Because uh, he is. Absolutely. I, I and this t-shirt, that. if you are on Team Johnny, um, you can go to, just like sort of do a uh, Google search for... Just put in Popcorned Planet t-shirt, Johnny Depp, right? It's going to pop you up to the website. And this, these, there's a couple of different designs. Um, all of the proceeds go to the Tampa Bay Crisis Center, um, which serves not only women and children, but also men. And you don't find a lot of places that also, like, will, that recognize that men can be in DV um situations and so you know where it's not really just about wearing the t-shirt i knew that the proceeds to the t-shirt were going to help something a charity like that so i said buy purchase send it now and if you're on team amber you're on your own like i don't i don't have any resources for you if uh, if you're on team (laughs) amber i only have one meme to share with you (laughs) (laughs) and it's called heard heard on a turd so yeah. Have you seen Elf on a Shelf? And it's yeah. now, and it's Amber Heard sitting on a giant pile of shit. Because yeah. today in court, the one of those uh, drivers, like a security driver guy, mm-hmm. he revealed that she said to him, it was a practical joke gone wrong. She fucking admitted to it. Oh, wow. How she do you... She admitted to it. What, is she, was she going to fart on his bed and accidentally uh, shit? Probably <laughs> being with her friends and being a moron and... Yeah, they did that. That wasn't the Yorkies. No. The Yorkies didn't shit on the bed. I'm entertaining myself. I'm amusing myself very no. much right now. <laughs> but anyway, hopefully if you listen to this podcast, you're, you're Team Johnny. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it if you're Team Amber. We're anyway. Team Johnny over podcast, here. Though. I'm Team uh, Jack Sparrow, the Mad Hatter. Um, what else did he play? Um, Edward Scissorhands. A lot of other things. Edward Scissorhands. Oh. He played... Um, he was in Blow. What was his name? I don't remember, but he was good in that. I almost said Henry Hill, but that's Goodfellas. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's Goodfellas. That's my other movie. Um, he played he played Grindelwald in the yes, first two Fantastic Beasts movie. Yeah. Yeah. The third. That's, I just went to go see the third movie. Mm. The new the actor that plays him now is okay, but Johnny Depp has my heart. Yes, Johnny Depp has my heart. Absolutely. Feel, yeah, man. I feel like if if. They're supposed to be making another Pirates of the Caribbean, and Johnny said he didn't want to do it anyway. Well, but he wanted to have a good, uh, a proper goodbye for Jack Sparrow. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I feel like Disney puts that out. I ain't watching it. No, no. way am I watching that. Nope. Uh, no, I think that he'll probably, you know, when you develop relationships like you do, and I get like Hollywood, and they all run from any kind of controversy. 
even though they're all involved in it. Right. Um, I think that he had, I watched a, an old interview today of the two of them being interviewed, um, him and Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And that's a relationship, that's a friendship, right? Yeah, he was in Corpse and Bride, I, too. Yeah, yeah, he was, he voiced um, right. Victor in Corpse mm-hmm. Bride. He did the um, Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. you know, all the... Ed Wood? Yes, and the Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. the two of those, he right. did those. Those are all Tim Burton, and I think if, if there's any doorway to something, that might be the doorway. It's not like he has to do anything, sure. right? He doesn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to go do them all because I just thought of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, and that yes. is a great movie. I also heard today that he had... Um, Hunter Thompson's asters like rocketed out for like he spent a lot of money to like have them shot out a cannon oh, because yeah. apparently that's what Hunter Thompson awesome. wanted. So he spent money to do that that's for his awesome. friend. Yep. That's great. Right? Like I don't know. I I've I, I noticed today too that I mean we'll wrap it up and we'll talk about Bialtana eventually. But I think that this is so important to when you're able to speak your truth, you know, and the it's been eleven days so far as of us you know, recording this. And in those first day or so, first couple of days before... You're talking the length of the court. He took... What? You're talking 11 How many, days of court. Yeah, of court. Yeah. They've been, they've, the trial's been 11 days now. Yeah. Um, when you first saw him at the table, he didn't look good. Like, he just didn't look good. Not like that... A little besheveled. Yeah, he really did. And since he's been on the stand, and the date... Like, that was three days... And then all the days after of this, tr- he looks so much better. Like physically better, his expressions better, his skin looks better. Like he just looks better. And it can only be that you finally had a platform to tell your truth. Mm-hmm. And how important that that can be to somebody's psyche, their physical health, their emotional health. You know, like you can speak your mental health. Yeah. Of being able to speak your truth. Oh, show. So regardless, I think however this turns out, jury-wise, right, whatever comes down, I think he wins. Oh, yeah. I, I mean... You know? I Amber Turd hasn't <laughs> taken the stand yet, but I don't know how she's going to dig herself out of this one. Yeah. I mean, even her makeup company that she was using outed her. Like, Come on. Total L was her. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Didn't Wasn't even made. That compact wasn't didn't even exist i saw now it was on facebook so i don't know how legitimate it is but someone (laughs) but someone posted that the reason that the lawyers ended up knowing that that makeup was made after like that time period she was talking about was because of a tiktok like makeup tiktok was like that is that makeup that she was using blah blah whatever i mean yeah if they, if there are, if you are the CIA, Tamara, there are a million of you out there doing the exact <laughs> right? same thing. Those you know? makeup artists know their products. They know when it came out, and somebody smelled some bullshit. She's not mm-hmm. as smart as she thinks she is. Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. Anyway, so fifteen minutes in. Yep. Important topics. Uh huh. Right. Get it, <laughs> um, it off our chest. Yeah. We can breathe easy now. <laughs> Let's talk about Bialtana. What do you say, boys? Yeah. I've also heard that as Beltane. Yes. So we're going to talk about that. That's okay. how we're going to actually start. Okay. So Beltane, B-E-L-T-A-N-E, 
is the anglicized form. So like the English version of that. Gotcha. Um, Bialtana is actually the Gaelish, Irish, Irish, right? Gaelish term, word, for the month of May. And um, I think it was the second time that I went to Ireland. I stayed in the same bed and breakfast um, as I did the first time. And the calendar, and it was May, it was the end of May, I just lost my mind because the calendar was in Gaelic and it said Bialtana on the calendar for the month. And I probably took a picture of it. If I can find that picture, I will make that our, um, our like social media picture or something for this episode. But yeah, Bialtana, Irish Gaelic for the spelling of the month of May. Um, then you have for the Scottish Gaelic, where is it Gaelish? Would it be Scottish Gaelish or Scottish Gaelic? Um, I would say, honestly, I'm not the expert, but okay. I would say Gaelish. Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm pretty sure Gaelic, I'm pretty sure Gaelic, it's kind of like saying Celtic. Yeah. Like Celtic is the area, Overall. but you wouldn't say like, it's Celtic is specifically Irish. Right. Like, no, like no. Celtic is the generalized area Umbrella. of that space. So yeah. I would... I would just endeavor to say Gaelic because yeah. their word for their language is probably not Gaelish, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So then Scottish Gaelic would be Bialtin. And that one is actually spelled B-E-A-L-T-U-I-N-N. So then you have Bialtina, Bialtin, Beltane. You're right, whichever thing that you say. Um, it all goes back to the Bellfire, right? This is about the Bellfire. This is one of the cross-quarter festivals of the year and really like a big hinge because um, the Celtic then people, right? The wider range of Celtic people had two seasons. Like we are used to the four seasons and the solstices and equinoxes being in there, right? But we, they had two seasons, the summer, winter. And Bialtana would be then the beginning of summer. Um, he, they have they connect this a bit to the Proto-Celtic god Bel, Beli, Belar, or Belor. Um, the bright one. Yeah, and that shouldn't say I should say Eastern on my notes, but also maybe trace back to the um, Eastern Baal, B-A-L-L, the god Baal, and that really is just a title meaning Lord, which can totally get you into such a conversation about any names of the gods. Is that their name? Probably not. It's a title, right? Even going to go back to uh, ancient Egyptian mythology of the goddess Isis, knowing the true name of Ra. And when she had his true name, then she has his power. So our gods' names are titles. We don't know necessarily what, what their names are. Yeah, um, yeah. Bell means the bright one. That's B-E-L, right? The bright one. It's about light and fire. But it's not as though the Celts were sun worshippers because they were not, right? Um, they weren't oriented towards the sun. They're oriented more towards the natural growing cycle and herding. So, and, and, and the, the sun to them was actually feminine. Would you agree with that, Samuel? I, you know? I I honestly, when I read that in the show notes, I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, like yeah. I, 
I did not know that because I argued that the moon is the lady and the sun is the masculine, mm-hmm. you know. But if you've ever been to Ireland before, and I've only been once, you know that the sun is not a very showing creature, yeah. you know. Like, it's very cloudy, it's very gray, it's very rainy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it So that totally tracks with just the environment that Irish people live in specifically is that the sun is there, but it's not the pentacle of what their relationship is, even though it's obviously extremely important. Yeah. Um, They were also, like, there was elements of masculine energy that impregnates feminine energy, right? That's what this this Sabbath is about. Um, I, I put an asterisk next to this in the show notes because I want us to have a conversation about it uh, being very... Um, Masculine pieces and feminine pieces and making babies, right? And what, as modern pagans, what does this mean, et cetera, et cetera. But when we look back to uh, the ancients, right, and what we're celebrating, it's that things are being born. The, um, the it's, it's about birth. It's about fertility. And we can look at fertility in a lot of different ways. Especially now, when there's 7 billion plus of us, maybe people and ensuring the next generation isn't exactly of such dire importance the way it would have been in Bronze Age, you know, Ireland or something, England, the Isles, Europe, wherever in the world. Um, So, you know, I want to have a a conversation about that later. Um, but this this is a fertility festival, right? It's the, it's watching the fertility that's returning to the earth. And if you're driving around and you are in the northern hemisphere, uh, whether you're Europe in Europe or you're in the United States, you're in Canada, or you're someplace in the northern hemisphere, you've been seeing it popping up everywhere. And yeah. I feel like for me here, growing up, the majority of my life spent on in suburbia on Long Island, you know, obviously the trees are, are, are leafing, like the leaves are coming out and maybe some of the flowers that my dad planted and popping up. But, um, when I would visit here for like 15 years before I lived here, I was usually here in the middle of summer or in the dead of winter, right? For a holiday vacation time or, or the holidays, but living here, my first April here, I was like, this is magical because lilacs didn't grow or like little violets didn't grow in the lawn at home. Of course, every place there's a dandelion, right? Like little dandelions, whatever. And they're still so important, but like the little bluebell things and the, those purpley trees that they have here, like redwood, red, mm-hmm. whatever, like there's so much color and I didn't experience that in april so april is such a april and into may everything really is popping up and returning and all on its own you know you guess we we, maybe we're going to get into our gardens they weren't agricultural necessarily the uh the ancient celts but they were focused on the natural cycle and here is that natural cycle fertility is is returning um and something i'd mention here too is that um Comparing what fertility was to our ancestors and comparing fertility to what it is to us currently is vastly different. Yes, Yes, of course, like having babies is important, you know, but I can go get my tomatoes, my corn, my vegetables and meat from the grocery store. So I don't have to worry about 
uh, ever being without, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, fertility to our ancestors was vastly different because if they did not have the crops, if their crops were not fertile, everyone's dead, You're you know. Screwed. I mean, we can even look back to, um, even though it's a pretty cliche thing to say, the Irish potato famine, you know. Look what happened. Mm-hmm. That Their land was not fertile, and look what happened to their people. Yeah. So um, think about ancestrally and compare what happened what was fertility to them because to them it was extremely dark like it was absolutely desperately necessary if it's fertile if our we don't have to worry about our land being fertile as of this moment living in rural suburbia because i have the kroger right down the road (laughs) our ancestors didn't um so um, when it comes to your beltana beltane celebrations mayday celebrations Think, think about where what we came from and where we're currently at. And funny enough, my dad has always had a garden constantly, like massive garden. And he always said that it is uh, a great time to start planting your vegetables, garden, whatever, um, after Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought that was so funny because he even mentioned that to me recently on a phone call that we had was that I was like, when did you put out your plants? And he said, oh, I haven't put them out yet. It's, it's not Mother's Day. And I'm like, what an interesting, like, like calendrial time yeah. to be like this is when I put out my things is made is after Mother's Day. Yeah, after May Day. Don't wear white. After May Day. That's after Memorial oh, Day. Oh shit. <laughs> Fucked it up. <laughs> but that, that whole thing reminds me of uh, T Rex's favorite movie. The Wicker Man, right? God. Is that Beltane that they're doing, or is that Mobon? Yes, because they do a Maypole okay. in that. We're yeah, going to talk right, about the right. Maypole. That's right. They are kind of smooshing a couple of things together because they have the the fire. Oh, they have right. the sacrifice. But that does tie into some things that I found that, you know, these festivals with this need fire may have originally ended with human sacrifice, oh. right? I mean, <gasps> oh, it's, How it's satanic. <laughs> <laughs> um, we even have a uh, history of the Vestal Virgins in Rome, of the goddess Vesta, right? Which in a Greek translation would be Hestia. Um, that they, part of their, um, at, the, at the full moon of May, they would throw into the Tiber River these, uh, like, mannequin, like, tied mannequin human body forms that were made of like rushes and they would toss them into the river because they were no longer performing human sacrifice at that time right but here's a symbol of a sacrifice in the shape of a human being um in you know so that it is about this like lighting the fire right um in ireland you have your your different kingdoms and you have your high kings of your kingdoms but then there is the high king of all of the the kingdoms and that's the the king at, at Tara um, that's where like the main king is living and the tradition was that all fires would be put out and then the fire would be relit at Tara and you couldn't light your fire until the fire at the hill of Tara was lit and then you know and I, and I have stood on Tara hill and you can't see you know, so if there's another hill, it you'd see it. If it was nighttime, and I, I was like, if I lit a fire here, they're going to see that it's slain, right? And then that fire is going to go off. And then that someone else is going to see that fire on that hill, and they're going to light that fire. It reminds right. me of another movie. <laughs> what? Lord of the Rings. 
Yes! Yeah. The signal fires that they would do. So you couldn't light your fire till the king lit it. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if this, you know, we've always heard this. And I think as, as pagans at the whole, you know, St. Patrick and oh, the chasing the snakes out of Ireland crap that you hear. And it's crap, mm-hmm. kids. It's crap. There's never been snakes in Ireland. And a lot of the stories that are attributed to St. Patrick were attributed hundreds of years later um, and, and just simply aren't true. So I don't know if Patrick did or didn't light a fire on Slane Hill before King Leary, who was the high king of Tara at that time. It is said that in 433 AD, that Patrick lit the fire on that May day, like April 30th night, like the night of Beltane, because our, our Sabbaths, right, they start at that sundown to sundown, that he lit it before King Leary lit the Beltane fire. I don't know. Somebody out there knows whether that's crap or not, can let me know, because I would love to know if it's crap, because I just, I don't want it to perpetuate it anymore, if it's not true, but maybe it is. As a as like I mean, a signifier I, of saying like I know the importance of this and I'm gonna light this fire before you do. Mm-hmm. But honestly, like St. Patrick having first off canonized himself in the beginning, you know, <laughs> yes, like he wasn't he like, was not he was not he, no. was not, he, he operated of his own very um, folk Catholicism kind of dealio, you know, like yep. he was not sent by the Catholic Church to convert the pagans, like he was just. Hey, like Passionate. I hear, I hear Jesus, and I'm going to go talk about him. You know, so what we, what we, the people say, like pagans are the snake. You know, N- no, no. <laughs> um, uh, but I also think that that comes from a long history of pagans being pagans and witches, specifically being demonized. So, right. so I get there being a lot of tough issues there, um, tough feelings. Um, but I highly suggest our listeners to look into the Hill of Tara. Um, it has a fascinating um, history there. A lot of Irish mythology actually takes place around uh, the Hill of Tara. Um, Queen Maeve mm-hmm. is, is, is present at the Hill of Tara. Um, I believe, now I may be wrong about this, um, she actually, uh, Queen Maeve with her brooch, like it said that her brooch was the shape of the hill of Tara, Ooh. and that's what that's what determined the outline of the of the area was her brooch. Um, I may be wrong on that, but I'm vaguely remembering okay. that being the the story of how the hill got its shape, or that general vicinity got its shape. Um, so look at so look into it, the hill of Tara in Irish mythology. Yeah, it's beautiful. I really really liked it there. Um, so I have some information from a book called Eight Sabbaths for Witches, and you can find Eight Sabbaths for Witches separately, or you can find it as, um, like a compilation in a witch's Bible. Now, this is, uh, authored by Janet and Stuart Farah, and it is, it is old. And so... it's the complete witch's handbook. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, uh, it is very, it's... You know, it was from the 70s, guys. Let's, let's get real about it. And being in a, in a downline from Janet Farah herself, right, through, through ordination, I know for a fact that Janet does not practice this way anymore. 
but I still go through this book for the history that Stuart Farah put in here. Before Stuart was a, a, a practicing witch, he was a journalist. And there's actually um, a book written by a friend of mine, Liz, and it's called Writer on a Broomstick. And I really feel that people should know about Stuart Farah because if there was a father of witchcraft, in my eyes, it would be him. He took a lot from Gardner and, you know, the bones of things that was Gardner's work, the bones of things that Alexander's did, they were Alexandrian initiated. Um, and also through, through Dorian Valiente, but put a lot of meat on those original um, Wiccan books of shadows and the history that he uh, wrote about, especially with them living in Ireland, they were a lot connected to the culture. And so I can still read through it and, and pick up things from it here and there, even if the, the, we don't practice in the way that the rituals in here are, are written anymore. So here's a section on their chapter on Bialtana. Incidentally, much of the symbolism of Tara as the spiritual focus of ancient Ireland is immediately recognizable to anyone who has worked in a magic circle. Tara is in Meath, which means uh, center, and was the seat of the High Kings. Its ground plan is still visible as great twin circular earthworks. Tara's ritual banqueting hall had a central hall for the High King himself, surrounded by four inward facing halls, which were allotted to the four provincial kingdoms, to the north for Ulster, to the east for Leinster, to the south for Munster, and to the west for Connacht. That is why the four provinces are traditionally known as fifths, because the vital center, which completes them as spirit completes and integrates earth, air, fire, and water. Even the elemental ritual tools are represented in the four treasures of the Tua de Danan, the stone of fall, which is the stone of destiny, which cried aloud when the rightful high king sat on it, the sword and spear of Lu, and the cauldron of the Dagda, which is the father god. All four were male symbols, as one might expect in a warrior society, but the archetypical matrilinear foundation still shone through at the inauguration of a lesser king, ruler of a Tua, or a tribe. This was a symbolic marriage with sovereignty, a fertility rite for which the technical term was and I'm not gonna be able to say that right, so I'm just gonna read the, the, the translation, royal wedding. The same used to uh, be true of the High Kings. The legendary Queen Maeve, whose name means intoxication, was originally a personification of sovereignty, for you're told that she was the wife of the nine kings of Ireland and elsewhere, that only one who was mated with her could be king. Of King Cormac it was said, until Maeve slept with the lad, Cormac was not king of Ireland. It is easy to see then why Tara had to be the igniting point for the community's regenerative bell fire. And the same would have been true of the corresponding spiritual foci in other lands. Ireland merely happens to be the country where the details of the tradition have been most clearly preserved. So even if you're not practicing, right? The end of the quotes. Even if you're not practicing a you know a Celtic base or Irish right, you know, working with Irish deities, what Stuart is saying there is that there was probably a central place, regardless of that culture, and those those ceremonies and those rituals would happen in that central place. It's just for for Tara it, that fire, the need fire, the bell fire would have been lit at Tara. 
Interesting. <laughs> You're funny. You kill me. Okay, so some other traditions on the eve of, right? So you would have Greenwood marriages. What's a Greenwood marriage, Braxis? You know what it is. A Greenwood yeah. marriage? A Greenwood marriage. Oh. Like like Mary Jane marriage? Like ma like a Greenwood marriage. Okay, you don't know. I don't? Okay, I would figure you're going to kick yourself because I know you know. Oh, okay. A Greenwood marriage means that you're just going to run off into the Greenwood and do the things that married people, people do. Ooh. Right. So, I That's mean, fun. really, back then, like, fertility and... Let's get to bucking. Yes. You're on your animal, right? So, for, for people, for people, if someone conceives at May Day, when is she having her baby? When's nine months from now? Nine months from then. Oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> nine months from then. Samuel's figuring it out. Around Imbolc? Yes. You're having your baby around Imbolc. And what a good time for those mothers to do that, right? There's nothing really that needs to be done. You, you are, you're making it right towards the end of winter. You know, mm -hmm. the milk is coming in. There's that fresh food. The animals are starting to birth. The ewes, the goats are starting to birth. But then women birth. And you've got a good while to sit around and nurse your baby and be taken care of before you have to get your ass to work. In mm -hmm. your own, like, whether you're herding or whether then you're, like, you gotta, you got to do your farming. You've had that time to recover, to nurse your baby, and focus on keeping that baby alive. And then here comes like your responsibility. So it's a really good time. And I will say, and it was at the one Beltane you were not at. Because oh, you had a gig and you came to a different Beltane at the prison. Oh, but, right. and I will rub that into you forever and ever. <laughs> um, Seven years now. At a Beltane, we did actually a, ha a hand fasting. A, a legit, I hand fasted a couple and tied them to the maypole. And we threw milk and water at them. <laughs> wink, wink. Wink, wink. Um, and she had a baby the following February. So, Aww, yes. I love that. Yeah, that's nice. I love that. Another I mean, if you think about it, too, like, what a great time to do that. Like, everyone's probably drinking, having a great time. And if you've ever been um, in an extremely powerful ritual or energizing ritual, you my, like, my like cells feel like they're vibrating and I just want to like go run around the woods naked. So like, <laughs> so I totally get where they're coming from. They're like, got to somehow get rid of this excess energy. Um, and it makes me kind of giggle because I think about this, um, like one of these historic rain spells, like how to get the, how to get it to rain. And it's basically like you take a bucket of water and you walk outside and you pour the water on the ground. You look at the sky and you're like, it's not that hard. I just did it, you know? So I'm thinking about how funny it would be, like, if you're, like, shaking the trees or whatever on the earth and you're looking at your crops around you, you're like, it's this easy. Look at it. We're, we're making the baby. You also, like, That's grow, sympathetic you know? magic. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's not, I need this actual page back. Mm. Ooh, the fire jumping. That's what yeah. they were doing in... Uh... The wicker man. Yes. Yeah, and they do it without their clothes on? Of course they jump through fire without their clothes on. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. 
<laughs> yes, yes. He has, he had but a they're naked, lives. jumping over bonfires. Of course they jump through that fire without their clothes on. You crazy? Yeah, so fire jumping. We're, if you haven't seen the 1973 version of The Wicker Man, I highly recommend that you do that and yep. do not bother with the Nicolas Cage version do of that not, at all. At not, all. At not, all. Do at not. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. There's certain elements that they left out of that movie and they ruined it, ruined it, ruined it. So you have to get the young Christopher Lee as the summer, the Lord Summer Isle. And um, you have to watch that one. But they are. They're jumping over bonfires in hopes that the god of fire will impregnate them. Because who would rather have the child of a god than a child of an acne-scarred artisan? <laughs> I could probably speak that word. He's that got be in some my great sleep. lines in that. He does. And it just dawned on me that he was the white wizard in Lord of the Rings. He was. He was. Christopher Lee. Um, so yeah, making a little fire and jump in the bonfire, or if that's maybe a little too scary for you, um, you could have two fires, and they would often one of the tra- traditions would be to lead your your animals through the blessings of the fire, right? I've even heard of the people thinking that maybe the smoke. Because it's a time of ticks. Do we not know? Oh, How many man. ticks did we come home with like last Beltane? Like it eight. was bad, right? It was bad. It's tick time. Be careful. Wear your, your, your tick repellents. Um, but they felt like the smoke and kind of trying to clear insects from animals so they weren't getting like diseases. I don't know if that's what they were doing. But maybe there was a practical reason as long with the, with the spiritual reason. The... Um... The Irish people specifically um, were extremely, um, I don't like the word fearful, but fearful might be a good word. That's what's coming to me right mm-hmm. now. Um, of their cattle being taken, like killed, taken cattle advantage rates. of, especially because on Bielsena on May Day, it said that all the fairy forts in Ireland are open. So the, um, the good neighbors are able to walk around just as easily as we are out in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not, ne- in, in Irish tradition, they're not necessarily the kindest of um, individual beings. Um, so you may end up waking up and your cow is now um, elf shot or, or stricken ill, no milk, you know. So they would do as much as they could to mystically prevent their cattle from being taken advantage of, killed, taken literally taken like into the fairy into the fairy mounds you know away from them um because that was all of, i mean that was like money to them back then sure um, so likely and, and if you ever seen the price of a cow now that shit's expensive still you yeah. know think about back then when all they had maybe were five cows yeah um so i could see that too being a way to like bless them and hopefully have people not mess with them mm-hmm. yeah and if not the good neighbors, uh, your literal human neighbors, because cattle raiding was a real thing, you know? Oh my gosh, thing. yeah. Yeah. Um, so some traditions that you can adopt even the next morning would be to take greenery wreaths and blossoms and decorate your doorways, right? So that magical threshold place. Um, there's a tradition of skimming wells. So it's running to your, not that we have wells anymore, right? But this is what they would do is run to the neighbor, like somebody who is very fortunate and skimming the top of their well to take their luck. Mm. So you'd want to protect your own well, but maybe skimming well with some other people. Um, And then washing your face with morning dew. 
like go outside in the morning, putting it on your face for beauty and love and and when I getting read, a date, you know. When I read that, my mind just instantly said Mountain Dew. Mountain like, Dew, well, yes, get Mountain Dew. Right, where'd they get that? And out? don't come to me if you have uh, acne or a breakout <laughs> in a couple of days from then, because I said morning dew. <laughs> Um, I have another little spot. This is a shorter spot to read. Um, again, from the Eight Sabbaths for Witches, which I thought was really cool. Um, well, I can read this too, I guess, uh, beyond dancing over the crops, but I'll, I'll add the skimming wells to explain it more. Another May morning custom in Ireland was skimming the wells. You went to the well of a prosperous neighbor, presumably before he was up and about, and skimmed the surface of the water to acquire his luck for yourself. In another variant of this custom, you skimmed your own well to ensure a good butter yield for the year. And also, one may guess, to forestall any neighbor who was after your luck, that you already got your own luck from your well. Folk memory survives in curious ways. A Dublin friend, a good Catholic in his 50s, tells us that when he was a boy in North County Longford, his father and mother used to take the children out at midnight on May Eve, and the whole family would dance naked in the young crops. The explanation the children were given was that this would protect them against catching colds for the next 12 months. But it would be interesting to know whether the parents themselves believed this to be true reason, or were they really concerned with the fertility of the crops and were giving the children a respectable explanation in case they talked particularly particularly in the priest's hearing. Our friend also tells us that the crops were always sown by the 25th of March to ensure a good harvest. And the 25th of March used to be regarded as the spring equinox, comparing the 25th of December for Christmas instead of the astronomically exact solstice. So you're thinking in the 1970s, there was a guy in his 50s who remembered running around with his brothers and sisters and parents naked in the in the crops to... Um, not catch a cold, so their parents said, but maybe they were ensuring the fertility of their crops. Family bonding. Oh, we don't my. do game night. We dance naked on our field. <laughs> uh, That's what we do. Something else they, uh, Irish people did was um, it was said that on if you picked herbs on May's Eve, that you that they would be more so imbued with healing, protective attributes, specifically yarrow. Um, so I had uh, come up with this idea because I obviously don't have like live yarrow around me, but I do have mm-hmm. dried yarrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you you can leave it outside May's Eve, that day before May, just leave it out there and you're going to pick it in the morning. Um, and you can say like a charm over it. And it's um, in Irish, it's traditionally called uh, the herb of seven needs. Ooh. You can take that into your house as like a symbolic way of picking the herb because I don't have live yarrow, but I have dried yarrow, so I'm going to adapt it to whatever I have available. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I grow yarrow, and I have for a couple of years, and it's not like it, it is not ready. So I pick mine. I harvest mine at the summer solstice, and so one of the things that you see here, the difference. So this is like the Irish tradition picking the yarrow you can tell that the climate was a little different and it also is a little bit different while they are a bit like a little bit more north 
it's just it's different there it it's probably is growing uh faster mm-hmm. than it has been here so mm-hmm. it's okay if yeah do that with your dried yarrow and know that you can also do that because again it's about the natural cycle of vegetation here or wherever you are and you're just adapting yeah. it to fit your um where you where you are on the planet your bioregionalism yes so I have this labeled under modern traditions. And I know I we were talking about it a little bit. Um about how oops. About how maypoles aren't ancient. They aren't. They aren't. You Remember we talked about I know, I said we were talking about it. We were talking about it. Um they're technically pretty modern, but they're you know a couple hundred years old. So there was not an erected maypole at Tara <laughs> back with the High King. There just there just wasn't. Um, I have I collect. I really actually I did a little deep dive and I found some really fun stuff. Um, now this could connect to tree worship, right? It could because it's a long tall tree trunk pole right um we have some evidence of romans who celebrated the goddess flora and they celebrated her the last four days of april and into the first of may and there were like the decorations of and and garlands hung on these poles so not dancing and weaving it the way that we know now but more greenery and blossom covered long tall poles like people are into like the big giant shaft you know it's a big penis i mean it really it kind of is but there's also the element yeah. of it, where are we going to make the center of town right where is the center of town how are we going to know where the center where do we know where to gather oh we erected a big tall thing right we had a race uh, in in the 1920s in manhattan right who was going to have the bigger building mm. which guy's big skinny thing was going to be taller and bigger so there is the element erected erected building erected and shoved into a hole in the ground in the grounds right so uh, there's elements of that it could originate in germany um because they did strip a tree trunk and there was dancing around that tree no ribbons but they did utilize that for a meeting space and dancing um, so here's a poem, uh, or here's a little bit that I found about um, maypoles. May festivals enjoyed a revival in England from at least the middle of the 13th century when Bishop Gross Testy <laughs> of Lincoln complained to his archdeacons about priests joining in May games. The festivities must have been reasonably well established by the 14th century, as in The Knight's Tale by Chaucer, for example, the heroine Emily picks flowers on May Day morning to make a garland for her hair. There is a mention of the maypole at Corn Hill in a poem entitled Chaunce of the Dice, which has been attributed to Chaucer, but is more likely the work of John Lygate. And that poem is, is said to be back in the 15th century. So we at least know that there's some talk about this maypole going back to the 1400s. Were you going to say something? Uh, <clears throat> that I keep having these movie flashbacks, but <laughs> isn't that what happened in Midsummer? What wasn't that Beltane? Weren't they dancing around? Yeah, they, they were. They were celebrating the, the summer queen? solstice. Oh, because Midsummer 
but okay. they had very flowery, right? Yeah. So maybe if you're thinking there, and that's more like Scandinavia, were they in Sweden? I think right? so. So a little bit more yeah. north, and maybe their climate is now, here's now we got all the blooms at midsummer. Gotcha. Um, okay, where did I get this next piece from? I don't remember, but whatever. Uh, the 16th century May festivities were not confined to the first day of May or even the month of May. They may occur in June or even July as well. A constant custom of the festivities was to elect a lord and lady of the May who presided over sports. On the 30th of May, 1557, there was a godly, or sorry, a goodly May game in French Church Street with drums and guns and pikes. And with the nine worthies who rode, and each of them made his speech, there was also a Morris dance, and an elephant, and a castle, and the Lord and Lady of the May appearing to make up the show. And this was from uh, a, a book in England that, that I looked up. The Lord of the May, and no doubt his lady, was decorated with scarves, ribbons, and other fineries. May festivities were recorded by John Stowe, Stowe, and this is what he says. In the month of May, the citizens of London, of all estates, generally every parish, and in some instances, two or three parishes joining together, had their several Mayings, and did fetch their Maypoles with divers, warlike shows, with good archers, Morris dancers, and other devices for pastime all day long. And towards evening, they had stage plays and bonfires in the streets. These great Mayings and May games were made by the governors and masters of the city, together with the triumphant setting up of the great shaft or principal maypole in Corn Hill before the parish church of St. Andrew. As the pole was higher than the steeple itself, the church was called St. Andrew Undershaft. It was higher than the church steeple. Can you imagine? Now, I want to say, if you want to see the best maypole I have ever seen, I want you to go and look up Breed's Closet Beltane at Palaya Vineyards. I'm sure it's going to be on YouTube someplace. That is my girl, Bernadette. And that Beltane has been going on for a while. And it is the biggest, craziest maypole that I've ever attended. And there's probably got to be like 150 people that try to dance that maypole. And I hope that the three of us next May will be able to go to uh, upstate New York and do that because it's an event. What's it called again? Breed's Closet Beltane. And if you're in and around New York tri-state area, you should probably go get yourself a ticket to the Breed's Closet Beltane. It's all relative. Okay, so that's what we're people. that's what we're doing <laughs> next uh, next May Day. Yeah, it's kind of a our our sister group over in Connecticut. It's their retreat time, and uh, ages ago found like a real cheap motel to go to and stay the night over and um, there's vendors and stuff but it's it takes po other poles to put up the maypole it's really tall so um, here's another bit that I found a famous contemporary description of May customs was recorded by Philip Stubbs all the young men and maids, old men and wives, ran gadding overnight to the woods, groves, hills, and mountains, where they spend all night in pleasant pastimes. Hmm, wonder what those pleasant pastimes were. And in the morning they returned, bringing with them birch and branches of trees to deck their assemblies withal. The chiefest jewel they bring from thence is their maypole, which they bring home with great veneration, and thus 
they have 20 or 40 yoke of oxen, every ox having a sweet nosegay of flowers placed on the tip of his horns. Nosegays are little tiny bouquets, P.S. Every ox having a oh, yeah, sweet nosegay of flowers placed on the tip of his horns, and these oxen draw home this maypole. And then he writes, this stinking idol, rather. So now we know his opinion, right? Hmm. Which is covered all over with flowers and herbs, bound round about with strings from the top to the bottom, and sometimes painted with variable colors, with two or three hundred men, women and children, following it with great devotion. And thus, being reared up with handkerchiefs and flags hovering on the top, they strew the ground round about, bind green boughs about it, set up summer halls, bowers and arbors, hard by it. And then they fall, dance, right? And then they fall, they dance about it. It's, 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 it's old, so it's hard. They're dancing around it. I have heard it credibly reported by men of great gravity and reputation that 40, three score, or a hundred maids going to the woods overnight, there have scarcely the third part of them return undefiled. Oh, my. Bam, bam, bam. So they get in it on in the nighttime. In, right? Your Greenwood marriage coming back with the actual maypole and everybody. Maybe we've got some, some babies a-growing. Um, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Here's a little bit more. In the diary of Henry Machen, it is recorded that on the 26th of May, 1555, there was a, yeah, another goodly May game at St. Martin's in the field with giant and hobby horses, Morris dancers, and other minstrels. And on the third day of June following, a goodly May game at Westminster with giants and devils and three Morris dancers and many disguised. And the Lord and Lady of the May rode gorgeously with diver minstrels playing. I also found royal games, and you know, if it's the Tudors, it's going to be ridiculous. There was a royal May game for Henry VIII in 1516, when 200 men from the King's Guard, dressed in green and under the leadership of a Robin Hood, led the King and Queen to an arbor erected in the wood beneath Shooter's Hill, where they feasted with wine and venison. On their return home, the royal party were met by a chariot drawn by five horses, in which sat the Lady May accompanied with Lady Flora, who saluted the king with diver songs. A manuscript, apparently written by the reign of Henry V, VI, concerning a number of men claiming to be servants of the Lady May, records their promise to be in the royal park at Greenwich day after day, from two o'clock in the afternoon until five, in order to perform the various sports and exercises specified in the agreement. Games went on from the 14th of June, this is actually May, through the 21st, and then daily, except on Sundays, because we're good Christians, right? Through the first two weeks of June. So they were like jousting and doing all, like every, like there was a royal schedule to all the May games. Um, in rural districts, the May game was a simpler affair. The accounts of the Chamberlains and Church Wardens of Kingston upon Thames <clears throat> for May Day between 1507 and 1536 contains charges for the Morris, the Lady, Little John, Robin Hood, and Maid Marian. There are also accounts relating to expenses for a Kingham, and a King and Queen are mentioned, probably the King and Queen of the May. In later accounts, the cost of the Kingham and Robin Hood are entered together. 
In the latter half of the 16th century, there was a decline in the May festivals and games. This was largely a result of disapproval, which was led initially by radical Protestants, but was also reinforced by the fears of social disorder that had come to be associated with parish gatherings. People getting crazy, and your Protestant people don't particularly like it when people get crazy. Cry, cry. Don't party too hard. <laughs> Jesus doesn't like it. Even though he may have turned water into wine. First miracle. <laughs> Hello. in the back. Right, right. <laughs> um, one of the most famous of all the May Day events still celebrated in the United Kingdom is the Nutsford Royal May Day, celebrated on the first Sunday in May in the small market town of Nutsford in Cheshire. It originated with the Vicar of Nutsford, the Reverend Robert Close, in 1864, and was deemed royal by the Prince and Princess of Wales when they attended the event in 1887. The event is described in The Origins of Popular Superstitions and Customs, which was written in 1890. Early in the morning, the streets are sanded with brown and white sand in preparation for the procession. All the old characters are present, and many new ones are imported from time to time, whilst children in scores eagerly participate. The procession starts from the town hall and is nearly a mile long. At the end is the uncrowned queen. She is chosen by ballot by ladies and gentlemen who are responsible for setting up the demonstration and the crown becomes her own property. Circuiting the town, the procession goes to the heath where the actual crowning takes place at the hill, right? The heath is not a hill. Followed by games, Morris dances and the usual festivities, all of which are performed before the throne, a quite imposing structure itself. And that all came from this really interesting website that I found called robinhoodlegend.com and how the legends of Robin Hood play out and how the May festivals um, play into that. It kind of reminds me of like state fairs and there's always like a beauty queen of it, right? There's a crowning of the queen in your state fair. I think we're still just kind of doing things that we've done for a really long time. Even if only a couple of years. Um, the heath is called the Hampstead Heath, and it is uh, a large ancient London, it's literally called a heath, covering uh, 790 acres. It's a grassy public space. It's basically a large park. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, I found this really cool, you know that show, Who Do You Think You Are? Oreo Have you ever seen stuff? that? What? Oreo Big Stuff? No, who do you think you are? Oreo Big Stuff. It's about, like, they take celebrities and they do their genealogical and they tell them, like, this is where you come from and here's, like, cool people in your line. They have a website. And they actually had some information about maypoles on this website. Um, and I just took a little, little bits of it. The maypole also represented the sacred tree and its attendant spirits who would bring a village good luck. But this often led to rival villages trying to remove each other's poles. So they were running around trying to steal each other's maypoles. Hmm. <laughs> the Derby Mercury in, in May 1772 reports one such incident in Leicestershire where, quote, a body of young fellows from Longborough who formed a plot to carry off the maypole, which they executed at night, may be the same cause of mischief and bloodshed. For the heroes of Quarendon vow revenge and are forming alliances with their neighbors of Barrow and Sheepshead and give out, they will soon march in a body to retake their favorite maypole. Sounds like, uh, what's that? DePaul 
and Wabash that like try to steal their trophy? The Liberty, the Liberty Bell? Some bell? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the Monon Bell. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> so where do ribbons on maypoles come from, right? So now we're how, let's get to this, Tamara. I really enjoyed that. Maybe you didn't. <laughs> um, first ribbons are seen in England, and it's this painting. It took me a little while to find it, but it's a painting from 1759, and it's called the Ranla Rotunda and Garden, and it's the Jubilee Ball celebrating the birthday of the Prince of Wales, 25th May, 1759. And over in the like right corner, there's a couple of people, and there's a little bitty maypole, and they're dancing, and there's ribbons on it. So it's the first time we actually see ribbons on the on the maypole, 1759. So you can say that they're probably doing this early 1700s. The maypole was always the focal point of village dancing, but in its earliest incarnation, the tradition involved no plated ribbons. Instead, the maypole was brightly decorated with spring flowers and surviving illustrations show adult dancers holding hands in a circle around the pole. The first documented plated ribbon maypole appeared not on a village green, but on a stage in J.T. Haynes' play, Richard Plantagenet at the Victoria Theater, London in 1836. This new interpretation of the maypole dance was copied across the country with regional, regional variances, including well dressing, with dressing the well, right? That's what I mean, that, that you dressed your body well, in Buxton, mm -hmm. and decoration of springs and wells with pictures made from natural materials, and a jack-in-the-green in Cheshire, where a pyramid or a conical framework was decorated with spring foliage and worn as part of the May Day procession. Um, so it's it's probably mid 1700s that there's actual ribbons on your maypole when maypoles mm -hmm. were banned protestant reformation put an abrupt end to the drinking and dancing that accompanied may day in the middle ages blah, blah, blah. <laughs> in 1644 maypoles were banned altogether in an act of parliament under the 17th century protectorship of oliver cromwell that he sucked anyway for a lot of reasons. However, in 1660, the monarchy was restored and Maypole soon followed as Merry England was revived under Charles II. Anthony Wood, a 17th century Oxford diarist, recounts an incident in May 1660 where, quote, a Maypole was set up on purpose to vex the Presbyterians and independents. Vex your neighbor if you put one up too, so go do that. Um, according mm. to Wood, attempts to saw it down were so futile, it was left to stand as a symbol of, rest of restoration triumph. So there's your history of the maypoles, loves. I have danced maypoles that have multi multiple colored ribbons. You know, the, the color of the ribbon that you choose can have a symbol, right, to you. I've also had um, seen maypoles where it's red and white, right, your symbols of fertility. And... Mm -hmm. We know it's white, we know it's red, whatever. So you don't have to get so penis vagina about it. You can do it multiple colors. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't have to be so so literal, but yeah. you can if you want to. That was a lot of me talking. It was. Anybody want to talk? Yeah. You, you have a well, do you voice. want me to talk about uh, Walpurgis now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, so Walpurgisnacht happens April 30th to May 1st. Um, Walpurgisnacht means uh, Night of Walpurga, or it's also known as Hexenacht, which is Night of the Witches, and it's a German holiday. 
um, April 30th through May 1st are where witches are said to dance on Brocken Mountain, the highest mountain in the Harz Range, which has been associated with witches since the 3rd century. Um, the history of it is a little bit conflated, obviously, because what was very pagan wasn't extremely recorded by pagans. It was typically recorded by Christians. So what you would read by Christian people are going to be a little bit more demonic and devilly, mm. less than uh, what is probably just considered to be pagans going to go dance on the mountain to celebrate the, the holiday. Um, beginning at sunset, the villagers would do anything they could to make a significant amount of noise until the sun rose. Um, this was thought to deter evil spirits and also the same as large bonfires. So even in Germany, they were celebrating the holiday or the season, I guess, with large bonfires, but it was a protective mechanism from uh, malicious spirits, which were said to be brought up on Brocken Mountain when the witches would fly there. Um, Jacob Grimm in Ghost Faust, Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain, in chapter titled Walpurgis uh, Knot, um, the quote says, The witches' excursion take place on the first night in May. They ride up to Brockensburg on the first of May, and in, a tw and in 12 days they must dance the snow away. Then spring begins. Here they, begin, here they appear as elf-like, god-like maids. Hmm. Um, so here, it w here it, he mentions that um, witches would dance the snow away. So they would bring the spring, they would bring the fertility to, to the earth. Um, and we had to dance it. Uh, St. Walpurga, who Walpurgis not was um, named after, was born in Devonshire, England in, 17, in 770 AD and was a young woman and she traveled to Germany to do missionary work with her uncle, St. Boniface. Uh, she moved around Germany before staying in Hendenheim where she became the abbess of the convent there. Um, after her death, her tomb was leaking healing oils and the church canonized her in that moment who was then chopped up and distributed across the continent because for some reason the catholic people had to chop up the saints and give them to people oh, you yes. know like they couldn't just stay intact they had to <laughs> put them in shiny glass boxes and decorate them and <laughs> give them to people um her feast date is may 1st and is the saint of cough storms hydrophobia and sailors I love this, uh, like, not to interrupt you, but her tomb was leaking healing oils. Uh, what? They were no. rubbing on themselves. No. Wow. Okay. Who knows, you know, and who, <laughs> and how, what did it heal? That's what I want to know, you know, like, like, that reminds me of a scene from, uh, Dairy Girls, it's on Netflix. Oh, I've seen that. And these, all these girls are sitting in there, like, church and um, I mean it's a Catholic church I can't mm -hmm. remember what it's called mm -hmm. um, and they're looking at this Mary statue and all these girls are like seeing Mary the Mary statue cry tears mm -hmm. and the main character the main girl is looking up and she's like oh no and her dog had ran up above where the Mary statue was and there was a hole in the ceiling and it and the dog started to pee <laughs> and the pee was like dripping on the Mary statue and all the girls were like oh my god she's crying you know it's actually dog pee dude um, that le legit happened a statue of Mary in some other country maybe South America where it was leaking water and so all these people were coming up and you know taking it into glasses and drinking it and licking no. it and it ended up being a sewer leak that the pipe was coming up through the statue oh my god maybe yeah. that's where dairy girls got a little bit of that's idea what, from. yeah it kind of made me think of that 
<laughs> it's so funny, but I also, I mean, like, who knows? Like, it could have been. Right. Like, they could have been healing been. oil. Like, I would totally, like, in Ireland, there's a bunch of healing wells. And Absolutely. I totally would go dunk myself in said healing wells, wells if I needed to, you know? Um, Walp- St. Walpurgis symbols were the spindle, grain, and the dog. And this is where they overlap with pagan symbols. Mm. Um, for example, grain was good for harvest, obviously. And the dog is the familiar to a German goddess. So it was not cats, they were dogs. Um, and then she was, St. Walpurga was assimilated as a Germanic go- goddess, Frau Holda, whose symbol is also the spindle. Um, customs and traditions of Walpurgisnacht is to avoid bad weather and poor crops, farmers would put honey and bread and butter out into the field. There is no explanation as to why, but this is just what they did. I'm assuming it would be to sweeten the crops, but honestly, that very reminds me of uh, Irish tradition where they would give offerings to the good neighbors of the exact same things. It would be butter, honey, and bread. Um, extra care was also taken to protect the cows. Sacred bells were placed on their necks to protect them from witchcraft. Mm. Uh, stable doors were locked and hung about with three crosses. Fires would also be used to burn old things that did not serve the people anymore in the previous years. And straw poppets would be made and imbued with illness and disease and also be burned to hopefully stave off illness and disease for the upcoming year. Um, Children would gather hawthorn, juniper, ash, and elder trees to hang around the house and the barn as a protection from witches. Um, Charms would also be said as well to make one beautiful with the morning dew and also divine uh, the face of one's true love. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, very similar to um, with the morning dew that you had mentioned earlier, yeah. just rubbing it with your face. Um, and I have the link to the charm here, and I'll read it to you in case anyone wants to try it. Okay. Um, a single woman, and it also could be a man, it was typically a woman back in the day because they were the ones concerned with marriage. Right. Um, men didn't really have to be concerned because they were the one getting married too. Um, would place a linen thread near a statue of the Virgin Mary. Then at midnight on Walpurgis night, she would unravel it and recite the poem, Thread I pull, Walpurga I pray thee, thou shalt show to me what my husband looks like to be. And then that night, the Virgin Mary would show you an image Dream. of uh, yeah. your husband's future face. That's a spell. Um, yeah. That's a spell to Mother Mary. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Very folk Catholic. Yes. Um, and then the next one is uh, the morning dew on May 1st would make girls who wash, it, wash in it beautiful. And the charm goes, the fair maid who on the 1st of May goes to the fields at break of day and washes in dew from the hawthorn tree will ever after handsome be. Ooh, I like that one. Yes. Yes. And coincidentally, um, while Purgus Night is not a night that people fear witches anymore in Germany, it's in fact almost the opposite. It's um, kind of like a Halloween now, mm-hmm. where people would dress up as witches, warlocks, and the devil and Yay. dance and celebrate. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting how history has changed. But also we could even compare that to what it is now here, you know, like where witches used to be really feared and scared and mocked has now become a social, a social thing. You right. know, like everyone's a witch now. I know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so something else um, I really loved, if you guys have ever seen uh, Disney's Fantasia, yes. um, that is a very good representation of the witches dancing on Rock and Mountain, mm-hmm. you know. Um what is the fair bog, the big dude, the big 
scary dude. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on Rocket Mountain. And a movie that I absolutely love, I wa- you can watch it on Peacock, and I watch it very frequently because it has a witch in it, and I am obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> it's called The Little Witch, and it's about a German little witch, and she travels to Brocken Mountain um, to dance with all the older witches. And it's Aww. so funny because they make a little joke that she's like, young witches can't dance at, uh, on at Brocken Mountain, and she's 123 years old. And she's the young witch, you oh know. My goodness. So, so it's like really cute. It's Aww. really cute. Um, so absolutely, on this night, typically traditional witches would go to the Sabbath. They would fly to the Sabbath mm-hmm. um, in spirit flight and dance with the devil. You don't have to dance with the devil, you know, but it's also a very like conflated thing where Christian history of what is experienced by Christian people mm-hmm. is now taken reins of by traditional practicing witches, you know. Yeah. So putting on the the oil and flying and letting your spirit leave your body and flying to the mountain to dance with the devil, yeah. kiss his ass, you right. know, like do the spiel. Um, some were said to like get their witch balls on this night, you know, which would mm-hmm. cause curses and hexes and malefic things, you know. Still so it's not necessarily has to be malefic, but right. some it's for some it is, for some it isn't. Right. So there you go, Walpurgis knot or hexen knot. Thank you. Well read, good sir. Thank you. So lots of different things that you can pick from to do, right? You can light a bonfire, jump over it, of course, with your clothes off. Mm-hmm. Um, you can fuck. You, you could do that. You can go off in a Greenwood <laughs> wedding. Um, which, actually, when you think about that, it's it's a pretty decent idea. You know, like, does that work in your relationship? Does that work? And if not... You know, you're, you're hand-fasting for a year and a day. Okay, well, we'll try this out for a year. And it's not it's not legal. We didn't go to the church and make it legal. But we can if we want to in that year and a day. Or we can go, you know what? I think I'm good. You good? We're good. We're not the right thing for each other. Let's move on. Or you could bring some greenery inside and do it there. You could. I mean, because it's unless you've got... It's not as fun, but... <laughs> <laughs> you're so annoying. Since you know that unless you've got, like, a lot of privacy, obviously you can't do that outside. Um, every place, you know, there is no more commons. Everything is owned. So you could risk it, which might be a layer of, of, of fun, right? Or, yes, bring the greenery in. Yeah, bring the greenery in. Bring it inside and do the deeds um you can dance that maypole you can fly to the sabbath there's actually that book by keldon the witch's sabbath right yeah yeah so you want to yeah. read more about um, that? Uh, 13 i think it's the 13 gates of spirit flight of spirit uh, a broom at midnight mm-hmm. is uh, a book that i've absolutely loved it's 13 gates of witchcraft by spirit flight by roger j horn is a fantastic book about um, how to loosen your spirit. Like a bunch, he gives a bunch of different ways to send your spirit off into into spirit flight. Mm. Uh, that would be a good podcast topic. I remember you talking about this book earlier, or maybe you've even he brought, brought it, it over. Once. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. you liked the cover. Mm-hmm. I, I did like the cover. It's inspiring, you know. It's one of those things where I'm like, oh, wow, like I feel like a witch. 
even <laughs> though um, I put that in my homework recently for um, the Foundations of Witchcraft class. When you do things every day, you know, and like magic and is just a part of your everyday life, like it doesn't feel abnormal anymore. It doesn't feel supernatural because it's not to me. It's just average. Mm -hmm. uh, so whenever I do engage in spirit flight, it feels supernatural. It feels like I'm doing something that is like really witchy. Mm -hmm. um, and I love it. So I'd highly recommend you reading that book if, if Spirit Flight is something that you haven't done because I hadn't tried it up until this year and I think it's fascinating. It's wonderful. So I highly encourage you to read the book. Well, now we have two different topics that we can um, do podcasts on. Techniques of Spirit Flight and really, you know, the, uh, the eight pathways of making magic right there's different things that you can do and utilize and how do you combine them and get witchy get witchy get witchy with it yeah so this was fun that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> wicked witchcraft and we will you know we may we may get rained out uh here in the old indiana on saturday for Oh, Beltane, but we'll get it done. We'll get it done. Oh. Because, you know, Absolutely. I have, I was saying, to, I said to, to Samuel today that um, while I have a living room, you know, it's, it is wonderful to have like a fire and to have a maypole. Indeed. And in the living room, isn't that so much fun? But we did, um, when I was in the women's prison, before I got us permission to go outside into their commons area to do some rituals in nice weather, um, we literally tied, uh, we had a ribbon maypole. Where we, uh, how am I gonna, that. yeah, we did that. We tied it to like, you know, the drop ceiling with the track on it, you know? We mm -hmm. tied it up there and had a hook or something and that took forever. I mean, you think if you've got a pretty, good sized tree trunk or you know a railing or whatever you're using the ribbons are going to wrap around the diameter of that pretty quickly but to wrap it around a string they forever. were dancing forever and then the next time <laughs> i did it i just thought okay we have to I, we cannot do that again on a, on a ribbon what are we going to do we're still not going outside and even when we did go outside i can't dig a hole and erect a maypole in the middle of the prison, prison yard. yard. I can't. So what we did was we had a broom. And I was thinking a broomstick. Yes. We just stuck the broom up with the, the tassel side, a natural broom, right? Uh, with the points up and they danced around that. But then it becomes literally a physical feat to be the person that is the pole right like that you usually need support for somebody to help hold it and then there's the elements of oh my god they're touching and they're having fun and Whoops. what are they doing all weaving around this at least they weren't Boom. naked. What? I said at least they weren't naked. No, that would never have gone down. Oh. I gave you a peck and the, like a peck kiss in the ritual space, and I got in trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I got in trouble for you it. Didn't, next you weren't time. even like a prisoner. That was, in that was, like, uh -uh. It was no, like an Italian kiss, that. even. Yeah, it was like a, it was a like that, and that, and I and they and they don't want to get you know the COs saw it and they were like mm, they were kissing. 
And I was like, actually, it is part of the ritual. It's the blessing. I'm the priestess. He's the, the priest of the ritual. So they're like, was that part of the ritual? Or were, like, <laughs> or were you, like, what are you saying? Or were we just making out? No, no. It was kind of like an air kiss, technically. So sorry to, to be weird. Burst your bubble. I've caught prisoners making out in the corner more than mm-hmm. that little ritual. Like, I wasn't was. tonguing the sage in the ritual space, okay? <laughs> Samuel. <laughs> Yeah, so ultimately what that really means is regardless of what you've got, you can figure out a way to work around, you know, work around it. When you're not behind prison walls, you've got options. And even when you are behind those prison walls, it really taught me about the the stuff that we use for for witchcraft, you know, because it was sometimes hard to get things in there. And it mm-hmm. taught me, like, what are the bare bones things do I really need to practice this craft? And you don't need a damn thing but yourself. Everything else is, it, you know, it, it's helpful. And Accoutrement. tools do, the do have powers. But um, when you're stripped away from all of those things, um, you have to figure your way through it anyway. So if you don't have a backyard, you've got a living room. If you don't have a maypole, jump over a candle. I mean, if you don't have a maypole, do use a broom. If you don't have a bonfire, jump over a candle. Jack, we live Same thing. Where yeah. there's a witch, That's there's it. a way. <laughs> That's how we end it. Where there's a witch, there's a way. Mm. That, yeah, okay. What? There's a song from <laughs> the from the old Lord of the Rings when it was on VHS called oh. Where There's a Whip, There's a Way. Oh, well. It's where they were like whipping the other orcs and stuff to get them to, you know, build these war things. What do you think about that, Zoe? You she don't didn't like, like whips? that very much, did she? She wants something. She wants to go outside. Okay. Well, happy Beltane, happy Bialtana, happy Walpurgis Noct. I can't say it very well. Walpurgis Noct. Walpurgis Noct. <laughs> nice. Indeed. All right. Let's All enjoy right. a happy song Bial- and go uh, what? Bye. Bye, Samuel. <laughs> Bye. Shit, we talked for. This is what will define us. This is what we will deny. Because maybe you were, maybe you were, maybe you were. 
It's about fucking. What? Sorry, I didn't. <laughs> that's, that's all pagan holidays. It's about right. fucking. This is true. This is true. This is when the blood and the semen mix, you know? <laughs>